episode 124, MSK Sports Podiatrist. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trusclair, and today we hear Nick Knight's perspective. Between 2017 and 2018, podcast awards nominated host as we get a behind-the-curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Thanks for tuning in again. Hope your week is going amazing. Your quarter is going fantastic. Meeting your goals. I want to start out and just say thank you to my 130 guests so far. Without you, I couldn't have a show. And I know sometimes there's the coaches. Some people don't really care for that because it feels like there's an ulterior motive. It's like, sure. But as long as they provide value on the show, I'm okay with them potentially getting clients, right? If they provide value. And then there's other guests. They just want to share what they've experienced, what they've learned. And other guests, they look at it as an opportunity to showcase what they can do to their local community, and it's a good opportunity for them. So it's a win-win on both sides. So I really appreciate them and everything that they bring to the table each week. I know I've learned a lot, and with such a variety of guests, it's everything that I wanted it to be. So thank you again. Now, this is the last week of our official podiatry series. We had a couple people that were unable to make the deadline. So don't be shocked if in the next two months or three months, we have a few extra podiatry guests. Today, ooh-wee, we're coming from Hampshire, United Kingdom, which is south of London. I'm not sure how far away, but it's definitely not London. He's got a fun story. Podiatry was not his first choice, but as luck would have it, it was the best choice for him to do the things that he loves because he's super into sports. And so we actually find out, well, what, what kind of musculoskeletal focused podiatrists do? What kind of conditions are they treating? The one that he explains is one that I haven't really heard much about. So that's cool. It's not like ankle sprains or nothing against ankle sprains. We had another guest that talked about that, but just it's a new topic for this series, which is fantastic. We're going to talk about the zero gravity treadmill, as well as doing those 3D gait analysis at shoe stores, what to look out for, the good and the bad. And also Dr. Knight is into research, not PhD style, but like the clinical aspect. And so he has some research that he is finalizing. Uh, we're not sure when that's going to actually you know, come out, but the results are promising for what he researched. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. We'll touch on hiring staff and ways to keep his wife happy since they've been knowing each other since 14. Yes, that long. All in all, a fantastic episode. I do want to give you a heads up. The first 10 minutes or so, there's a little bit more popping than usual. His microphone was too close. Uh, but we fixed it, and so just bear with it a little bit, and you'll be able to get a ton of information. Remember all the show notes and transcripts, which will have grammatical errors. So if you like to do that and you want to contribute to the show, send me an email with a polished transcript, and I will copy and paste it, and I'll even put your name below it, letting people know that you are the one that edited it to perfection. And if you do that, whoo-wee, I will give you a shout-out as well on the show. The page, adoctorsperspective.net slash 124. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Hampshire, United Kingdom, we want to welcome to the show a fantastic sports podiatrist. His name is Nick Knight. Welcome to the show. Um, many thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited. We've had, I've been trying to get, I should say, in this podiatry series, a sports person who that's all they do. And we've had some uh, kind of dabble in it. But from your yeah. website, it looks like you're on hardcore. I mean, you got weights in there, probably throwing some kettlebells around. I don't know. Yep. So I'm excited to hear about that. And before we get into it, what, of all the things, what made you think podiatry? Mistake. Um, <laughs> I was originally, I always wanted to actually tell, I, I wanted to go in the military. 
and at school I was going through the process, going to some weeks trips away with the Royal Engineers, um, but I didn't tell them I've got exercise-induced asthma. Um, so I told them at the very end, and they sort of just looked at me. They didn't believe me, but that was it. That's my military career over before it even started. Oh, no. Um, so then I thought, what about a physiotherapist? So I signed up to be a physio, got all my places, and then some, some things happened, which meant that basically it just didn't go through. So I thought, well, I was 17, 18 at the time. And someone said, what about podiatry? And I thought, what is that? I've never heard of that in my life. So I literally, um, back in the day before we had Google and everything, I looked at something called Yellow Pages, which back in England is sort of a directory of just people's and businesses' telephone numbers. So I phoned people, wrote to a few people, and only one person replied. And that was a podiatrist called Paul Haradine, and he's a sports podiatrist. I went to shadow him for a couple of days and sort of said, right, that's what I want to do. So off I went to union, the rest is history, so you say. Huh. How you like that? It's funny to see how the, the things play out. And, and we'll ask you later on about, like, you know, where do you see the future casting of podiatry and advice for students later on? So you're a podiatrist and that's what you chose to do. But there's so many options. I mean, you could just do nails all day. You could do surgeries and repair all these ruptures. Um, but you went more into sports MSK field. So how'd that occur? And, and what's that look like in a podiatry world? Um, so... I was quite fortunate as the university I chose to go to, um, Northampton, we had a chap called, one of my lecturers called Steve Abel, and he was a big sports MS, musculoskeletal podiatrist. And every Friday, we either had a sports or a pediatrics musculoskeletal clinic. And I've played sport my whole life. I'd much rather be outdoors than indoors. And I imagine that's what attracted me to some like physiotherapy to, to begin with. So then I thought, right, well, I've, I've almost got this sort of year's worth of experience before I graduate. Let's just build on that. So that's where I, I knew exactly that's where I wanted to go. I wasn't interested in being a surgeon. I wasn't interested in the routine. I wasn't interested in sort of working in diabetes or rheumatology. I knew exactly that the sports aspect was where I wanted to go. So I just made sure that any jobs I got after university sort of enabled me to get more and more experience to where I then left the NHS and started up on my own. And originally, though, you did have to learn all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. so free, okay. yeah, free university, we done some placements. And when I first graduated, I had to work in diabetic clinics. I had to work in rheumatology clinics. I had to work doing nail care. But I always made sure that I had one day a week, at least, in a musculoskeletal setting just to continue learning. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's, I'll do it the same again because it gives you a nice space. And it definitely just confirms to me what I wanted to do and then I was just fortunate enough along my journey to help to uh, meet people on the way who could just help me steer me in the right direction. Are you a small amount of MSK providers? I mean are y'all like of all the podiatrists y'all are kind of a little small sliver right? Yeah I, I would say so I don't know the exact numbers but podiatry in the UK is a small profession anyway um, but I would say the pure people who like myself who just do only musculoskeletal and sports injuries that's sort of an even much, much smaller. There are a lot of people who do a mix of musculoskeletal, a mix of routine, but there aren't many of us that purely, I don't own any scalpels, I don't own any nail nippers or anything like that. There's nothing in my clinic like that. Um, so, there's not, so you're not doing orthotics all day? No, no, no. The orthotics, I reckon, are about 30% of my 
my clinical stuff um but most of the stuff we're doing is rehab because we've got the gyms we've got the weights we've got the anthropology treble we've got the 3d gaze analysis so the way i look at it is that well i prefer getting people stronger and then if they still got problems once they're stronger then we can then look at orthotics whereas if you asked me five years ago before i had that knowledge around about the rehabilitation i'll just issue people orthotics all the time and now it is massively reduced the more i learn the less i issue orthoses so that's a good thing yeah if you don't need it don't get them yeah exactly do you recommend just curious you know i use some of the ones that are they're like the doctor brand of over the and it's kind of over the counter if you want to think about it they're not custom do you still recommend people use those type yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't think nike has a very good insert to be honest you know those types of shoes (laughs) um it's yeah i i will give people and recommend you to go buy some off the counter. For me, it's not. There's no evidence to show that a custom device is always going to be better than an off the shelf device. It's all about getting the right products for the right person. Mm-hmm. And if I am with the patient who I want them to use their orthoses for six, eight weeks, I will always try and put them in an off the shelf pair because it's a lot cheaper for them. With the end, actually, in six, eight weeks, it's just thin them because you don't need them anymore. So, but I, I won't. If someone comes in and says, oh, I've been told I need orthotics, I've got flat feet, but I don't have any pain, they won't get orthotics. I don't believe you. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So <laughs> some people go hunting for problems, and that's a bad route to go down because you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah, yeah. Now all of a sudden you got to retrain the entire calf and all the little foot muscles for yeah. no reason. Now it hurts, Doc. Dang it. Yeah. Well, what are some of the most common issues that you're seeing on a day-to-day basis, like maybe one of like your favorite? And then, like, walk us through, like, what are you doing for these people? You know, because I know what I do, and I know what a PT might do. Me, in our clinics, we're, we're different in that, actually, forefoot pain is the most common problem we see. Whereas most podiatrists, their common problem is heel pain, and specifically plantar fasciitis. But that's um, forefoot pain. So, and the most, one of the most common conditions we'll see is a plantar plate injury. We were just about to publish, well, look at starting to publish our own clinical data because if you look at managing it, it's, there's a load of evidence and research around about the surgical approach. There's nothing out there around the conservative management of plant plate injuries. Um, so we're just auditing our own data as we speak. And the initial sort of me having sort of a quick glance at it is showing encouraging results. So what we tend to be doing is we we'll use a lot of taping in the beginning just to offload the toe. We'll put a, a stiff, rigid carbon insole inside the shoe for six to eight weeks, give them foot intrinsic strengthening exercises, possibly then look at giving them an orthosis as well with a metatarsal dome just to offload the forefoot, and then have a graded return to running and then make the exercise program specific to their sport that they're going to do. So, for example, if they're a runner, they need to be able to jump up and down on the foot without it hurting your voice. If they can't do that, they can't run. Um, so we're finding that when we do all that together, we're actually getting people back to running and they're staying running. They're not getting re-injured as of, as of yet. So it's all very new because no one's actually looking at data and publishing anything like this at the moment. So we could be sort of the first clinic to offer, okay, look, this is what we're doing. This is the regime we come up with. In our hands, it works. We want other people to see. Is it, is it just is it just me and my staff that it works with, or actually can anyone take this and it work with anyone? And it'll, be, it'll be fun to find out. There's going to be a journey we're going to go along, I think, with this. And because I'm getting a bit of reputation, I had someone come, a patient come and say, "Are oh, you the plant to plate king?" And I'm thinking, I did that in last week. It's just something I developed an interest in. And people, I've had people travel from abroad to come see me just to help treat their plant to plate, and it's I seem to be getting a reputation for this. 
for us who don't know what a plantar plate is, what is that like the uh, first and second toe, or should I just shut up and let you tell me what it is? <laughs> <laughs> so if you think of it, 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 essentially it's an extension of the plantar fascia. So as the plantar fascia comes down to the lesser toes, it's the structure that helps attach your metatarsal to your phalanx effectively. And if you see someone with a hammer toe deformity, the chances are they've had a plantar plate injury, which has then resulted in a hammer toe deformity. The issue is, is that around about 40% of people can have a plantar plate injury and have no symptoms. The big question from that is we don't know how of those people have no symptoms in 10 years time. Do they have symptoms? And that's the question I will answer, but I haven't got that answer. My my guess is that if you've had a plantar plate rupture, the odds of you developing a hammer toe later on in life which will be higher. And then that may then cause symptoms. So people think it's the hammer toe is the problem, but actually that problem started maybe 10 years ago when the plantar plate tore ruptured, but they didn't. it didn't hurt them, so they didn't think about it. Isn't that wild that they could just not hurt? That just... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. again, I, I don't know why, but that's what the evidence shows us. And they, um, They've done some studies looking at that, and yeah, that's what they, they found. It's um, mostly one of the, the papers I quote the most when talking about plantar plate injuries, because I was looking at it and thinking, wow, that's... That's not a small number. That's not like five tenths. That's a big chunk of people. So yeah, the human body amazes me every day. It really does. Uh, same here. I mean, oh, all right. One of the p- powerful things that we can do is is stories. And it sounds like from what you already said, you got people coming all over the place because you're the plantar plate king. So according to my patients, yeah, uh, that, that, that's not my words. That's my patients. I've never called myself a king of anything. It's um, you don't want to put that in your uh, email, Nick. Power uh, <laughs> quotation mark. Uh, but my, my, my motto is never be the smartest person in the room. Never, never be the person who knows the most. If if that's the case, I'm in the wrong room. I need to move rooms. So it's you can yeah. always learn more. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so give us like a story or two of like these success stories that you have that just makes you say, "This is why." I keep doing podiatry. This is what gets me up in the morning. So one of them was she, she wasn't a sporting patient. Um, she had a stroke many years ago. Um, it was at least five to ten years before she saw me. And she was having issues with confidence and walking and felt like she's going to keep on tripping and falling. And she was starting to put a bit on weight and she was starting to get a little depressed about everything. And we worked with her for a few months about just getting her moving better, getting her stronger. And then she got to the point where she'd go up for a 10-mile walk and not worry about it. She'd just come back sort of near enough crying because she felt she got her life back. And to me, that, yeah, in a way, yeah. And she, um, for me, this is the sort of misconception. People think musculoskeletal, they think sports, they think high-end athletes. But for us, it's as long as you've got a goal and you want to get active, it doesn't matter if your goal is to go out for a few miles walk with the family at the weekend, whether it is to be an Olympic champion. At the end of the day, you want to be active, you have a goal, so we'll help you get there. So another story would be a lady with stage three tibialis posterior tendinopathy. And unfortunately, she had rheumatoid arthritis as well, which was really aggravating and she had some longitudinal splits um, within her tendon but due to work and medical history she wasn't a candidate for surgery it was just too high risk for her and her son was sort of a sub-elite tennis player so he was starting to break through so she was traveling all over the world with him playing tennis and she was finding that she just couldn't do the walking 
anywhere. And so we worked with her for about a year and we used a muscle stimulator, we used Ritchie braces, we got everything nice and strong. And it did take about a year to get what we wanted just because I think the rheumatoid arthritis was playing such a factor. Because whilst I was seeing her, her steroids were constantly being um, changed, her methotrexate, and then she moved on to biologics. And um, she then came back one day saying, I think I'm getting better. I said, why is that? She said, oh, I've just been away. With my my mum lives in New York. and I've just been over there. And I just realised, I just went for a walk and I walked around Central Park. And I went, the whole way? Said, yeah, yeah, the whole way. And it didn't hurt. No, it was fine. So, yeah. That, that that was enough because she come in hobbling and she got to the point where she could then travel back with her son doing everything she wanted and patients forget how quick were they like where they were in pain yes and when they start getting better they're like i'm still hurting you're like yeah but you can actually go five kilometers now before you couldn't even go one they're like oh yeah we don't speak about pain much in clinic i.e we talk about function more i.e how much can you do before you have to stop uh and we often will take patients back to where they were just to remind you that, that people quickly forget where they were. But then people also quickly think that being in pain and not walking as far as they want to is normal. So there's the other side of it as well. I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel like those type of clients when you're doing MSK work is great because sometimes these athletes, they want so much. And you might be really excited about athletes. I'm one. I'm, the demands that they need or maybe they're above my skill set or it's just – they really need this to work as much as possible. And I'm just kind of like, well, you know, I, maybe I just have enough experience with the, the, those high athletes where you can just say, hey, you actually need to take a break. Or, hey, you know what? Your Olympic dreams, <laughs> they're crushed. You're yeah. done. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy that says, sorry, buddy, uh, next year. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, especially when if they're professional athlete and it is their career, it's, it's hard to have those conversations with them. But when you're involved in those kind of cases, it's not just myself. It's myself. There'll be a physiotherapist. There'll be a strength and conditioning coach. There'll be a sports doctor. There'll be a whole team of us that are involved. And in those cases, it's normally the sports doctor that has sort of the ultimate control of the case. And they, they sort of then farm out the work to us, podiatrists, physios, and strength and conditioning coaches. So I don't normally ask for the athletes directly because that normally comes from the doctor. So it saves those awkward conversations. Um, yeah. So, but it's, we, we've had a couple where we turn around and said, look, your, your dream of doing, getting a time, good time at, say, a London Marathon this year, we're going to have to postpone that because you just missed too much training uh, and you, you're not going to get it back because the issue is, is when you're competing at a super high level, having an injury, it will take you a good, people forget how long it will take you to get back to that level. Don't get me wrong, these athletes, that they could get back to doing sort of a two-hour um, 20 marathon quite quickly. But then if they want to try and break down to sort of doing a 210, 28 marathon, then actually it takes a hell of a work just to get shave those extra sort of five, ten minutes off. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it has its challenges. It has its perks as well. Um, it's different kind of challenges from treating the non-elite but you still you're still under pressure with the non-elites because we had a he was a decent runner, just a decent club runner, ruptures Achilles tendon, and then a few months after surgery he he had his wedding and he wanted to walk down the aisle unaided for his wedding, which is a which is a big thing. So that was touch and go, but he got there. So yeah, that, that was a stressful thing. Okay, we, we hope we can get him there. But he knew that 
it was a long shot and it paid off, but he knew, he understood, and his expectations were managed that this may not happen. And I think overall that's a big thing. You've got to manage people's expectations and what they're realistically going to get out of treatment. Yeah, very good. But would you do any of the weightless treadmill stuff? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, anti gravity, the auto G. Yeah. So we. Yeah. Do you do that? What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah. No, we've got one in the physio, one of the physiotherapy clinics that I work out. So we've got one in there. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. It is fantastic for. People have got an injury, they can still keep on running on the weightless treadmill, on the anti-gravity treadmill. It's also good for people who, if you, if you need them to lose some weight, put them on the treadmill and say, look, this will be like if you lost 20% of your body weight, this is how it would feel. Ooh. But it's also good for people who have had a stroke or something, teaching them, helping them to walk again. Because you can do it in a safer environment, you can take the weight off and you can gradually get them to learn. Um, so it has multiple uses i don't think there's enough of them personally in the country i think they're 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 a very very good tool i think they're underused but i think they're only underused because they're not cheap yeah so when you're looking at 3d analysis i know in america sometimes you can go to like the shoe store and they'll have like a little setup or you know maybe sometimes they'll have like a doctor that's just trying to like get their name out there as like a little clinic let me analyze your your walk is there any like one or two pointers that we should look at to know if this person knows what they're doing or you know, common things that we see, like a lot of your runners have this same issue. So that's kind of where to start with. So I think for me, big red flags are if you go and say get shoes fitted or even if you're in a medical clinic, if they're doing a gaze analysis and they're just looking, so say they're trying to fit shoes or something and they're just looking just at the foot and nothing else. And they're just talking about overpronation and you've got a flat foot so you must do this but actually the foot's connected to the leg which is connected to the thigh so connected to the hip so you need to look at it all and because there is actually little evidence out there linking excessive pronation to injuries and I, I personally hate the term overpronation because it doesn't tell us anything but people get banded and banded around all the time and it just it just frustrates me and then if they turn, then turn around and say, right, we're going to stick you in a set of shoes or stick you in a set of orthoses to straighten you up, um, that, that's when you, you say, no, I'm out of here. You go. <laughs> you just you run away as quick as you can because they're just talking about a rush. So they're the things that I would um, look out for. They're the big things to say that alarm bells should be ringing. I like it. You know, I was reading something. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and one of the things that were, people were talking about, how do I get people's email, you know, and – and they were talking about like a banker or like real estate or something. And one of their suggestions was, look at the top five bad things about something. And I was just that's what just popped in my head. I was like, oh, there you go. You got a top five things to watch out for with a gate analysis. Boom, give me your email. And now you got some, not only you got them on a, on a, on a back-end marketing campaign. But that's just where my brain goes. <laughs> okay, this is kind of a dual question, so you can take it how you want. Any advice? For the either the person that's kind of in high school or, or like undergrad looking to go into maybe podiatry, they're thinking about it, and then bridging that into where are you seeing, at least in the UK, over the next five years? So I think I'm, I'm going to be biased because I am a podiatrist and I love my job. So maybe take the answer I give with a pinch of salt because uh, I, I, I love my job and I love being a podiatrist and I would recommend it to anyone. And in hindsight, I am glad I'm a podiatrist rather than the physio because I feel that people assume that I can specialise more, but actually titles don't matter. But that's 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 a whole other conversation. I think if if someone if they're interested, I say look, do it. Don't. Podiatry in the UK has has 
has a, quite a, a reputation of it's literally just a lot of podiatrists just cut nails, take off callus and remove pawns and that sort. People don't often see the podiatry that I do. And you can still go and do all that with my degree. And podiatry is great because you've got so many, you can train to become a surgeon, you can do the sports things like you can work in rheumatology, paediatrics, diabetes, you can do the routine care. There are so many avenues in which you can go down and we access a certain medication that we can administer and issue to um, the patients as well so it's don't be put off by the cover as it were so don't judge a book by its cover would be a good term to use it's something I would if you're interested in it go and shadow a couple of podiatrists and if you can go and shadow what I would call a generalist someone who just does nails corns and canis but then if you're interested in the surgery, you think you're, you may be interested in the sports, go and shadow just a sports podiatrist or a musculoskeletal podiatrist or go shadow a surgeon because I have people in my, I had someone in my clinic yesterday and I have people in my clinic all the time. And most podiatrists are actually really receptive for people coming into the clinic, I think. And then the second part of that question is podiatry in the UK is actually what we call an at-risk profession. We're actually declining in workforce, not increasing. Mm. So we've definitely got a turbulent time ahead. And I think part of the reason why is that as a profession, we have been crap at collecting our own data. Sorry, excuse me. So we can't actually show how effective we are. Hence why I'm doing my own auditing data to show how effective we are. So when you then come to the commissioning bodies, they sort of say, OK, what can podiatry do? We know we're good. We know we can help people, but we just haven't got the numbers to back it up. And I think there's going to be a tough time for podiatry in the next five years where it will end up I don't know uh, but the way I view it there are always going to be people who need my help so my title may change over time I, I don't know but to be honest my patients don't care about my title they just come in saying that I've got this problem can you help me and they really don't mind if I'm a physio I get called physiotherapist doctor podiatrist pediatrician all those things on a daily basis and I correct them but Patients, they don't care. As long as I can get them better, that's all they're worried about. Okay, so research takes money. And I don't know how much PhDs are out there doing hardcore research for podiatry versus just, well, the PTs or uh, the physios, they're doing research. So we just have yep. to hang our hat on what they're doing. But it's two different things. Like for the MSK stuff, great. But when you're talking diabetic ulcers and all that, I mean, I don't know who else would be doing those things in the NHS system if y'all aren't doing them. Research is is getting done. I think the research needs to take a step back and look at things because a lot of the research is done within the NHS setting because the issue in private practice is trying to obtain ethics and the financing of research, you say, because it's expensive. However, we know that most pedagogy contacts in the UK occur outside of the NHS. So if you're doing research on your patients in the NHS, you're actually missing a much bigger cohort outside the NHS. So we need to come up with a way of how can we get research into sort of private practice. And with my big aim of thing, I want to build a brand in the company that we do have a research budget privately and we start contributing towards the literature. But then also I think from my view, the other thing is that I've just come back and doing my own research project. So I've seen both sides of the coins of the research and the clinical aspect. And I think there is a bit of a gap. So what happens in research doesn't always happen in clinic, and it can take up to 17 years to research to filter down to clinical practice. And we need to we need to bridge that gap. So 
there are a couple of clinicians who what they're called um, clinical academics so they're people who research but they're also people that work in clinics and I think researchers need to try and start teaming up with clinicians more and clinicians need to start teaming up with researchers because then you can then see both sides of the coin and then work together and I think once we get that I think we'll start seeing changes but it all comes down to how's it going to get financed yeah it all costs money at the end of the day unfortunately uh, do y'all have a strong body of uh, podiatrists that actually contribute to the national organization? Is that mandatory? It's not mandatory, no, um, that each podiatrist should be publishing. There are a, a small handful of podiatrists who do publish on a regular basis within um, the UK setting. Uh, we just need to find out how can we increase that and how can we try and bring clinics on board. So actually when you're doing research, you can get the researchers to do the bulk of the stats and the research, but you can get clinicians contributing their data towards the research, and then you can then start building bigger, better studies. But yeah, it, it would be too hard to police. And the issue is, is it's just time and money. Again, it's uh, yeah, and it takes. I realise it takes a special kind of person. So I always thought I'd be good at research. However, doing my research project, I realised I am not a researcher. It's not. Um, <laughs> severely dyslexic and I found it was the hardest thing I ever done writing in an academic way um, and so it made me realize I am a clinician who's interested in research and I'm prepared to help out in research but I am no way a researcher so maybe it's we need to find out what we're all good at and just stay in our lanes and yeah hey, that's just my view I may be completely wrong but who knows? no I, I agree to know where you're good at. I'm more clinician. I will do what I can. But if you guys could take the reins and write this thing up and tell me what y'all want, I can do it. Just what do y'all need? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you sound like you have your own clinic based on uh, your logo and everything. The NK yep. would be yours. So yes. hiring staff, how do you find good ones? What makes them good? What, what kind of advice do you have for us? So I recently had to – one of my staff members um, left and I had to get a new one. And I think the big thing for hiring staff is build your personal clinical brand first. So I put one advert out on a small face on a Facebook group, and I had about 15, 16 applicants just from it wasn't even a paid advert. It's just literally a post I put up, and I just generated so much interest because apparently I'm starting to develop this brand that we that's what we do. We do the sports and musculoskeletal, so people knew what they wanted and I think it's just trying to create a culture of people in your clinic who it has to be about work ethic and the right person I can teach clinical skills to people but I can't teach personal skills so it's about people trying to be efficient with their time it's people who are willing to go the extra mile when they need to because you know for well being a clinician yourself is you'll have days where you're absolutely rounding clinic and you just got to stay slightly later and then you'll have days where is a quality can maybe get off home a little earlier. It just it just swings around about school comes around again. And then I think it's about for me making sure that they they've got the company's interests at heart as well. So we're all singing off the same same hymn sheet. So for me it comes back to more personal attributes than it does clinical ones because yes, you got to have some clinical skills but you can teach that but I can't change people's personalities. Um, but I hope by building the brand I attract the right kind of people that I want anyway. Are you able to have your, I don't know what y'all call them, we call them 
chiropractic assistants, you know, they can do the front desk, they can do insurance, but at the same time, if you teach them how to do rehab or some kind of, you know, put muscle pads on somebody, you can teach them to do all those types of things. Do y'all have the same system or do you have to have like a a person that's extremely specialized with with a certification? Yes and no. So there's no reason why we couldn't do that. And that's something I am looking into. So you can get podiatry assistance, you can get physiotherapy assistance. Currently, I don't. However, what I may look at is actually see if a podiatry student or something is employ them for a few hours. So they're doing their training and then we can help supplement what they're learning as well. And then they can do some of, you say, some of the, uh, if we tell them this is the exercises I want you to teach this patient, you can go away and teach it because it's all, there's always a set standard operation procedures. There's all a set structure. So it's almost like a flow chart exercise where they've got to follow instructions. And That's a good thing. And it'll be okay. And then in podiatry, there's talks of bringing in a sort of a podiatry apprenticeship scheme. So people, whilst they're going through their education, are set on place which is set we've set learning objectives to do so there's no reason why you can't incorporate it. the biggest thing i've learned actually in the last couple of months is i've realized that clinicians make rubbish admin stuff and expensive admin stuff so if you've got a clinician don't get into admin hire an admin yeah. person um, so they can fill in yeah, when they're sick um, but you don't want them full-time doing that no because they're rubbish yeah. at it um, so. <laughs> as they should be uh, uh, yeah I, I am absolutely rubbish at doing administrative tasks um, if you ask me how do we bill insurance companies i've got no idea ask my secretary and she'll tell you but me personally no idea um yeah so. i before i sold my clinic i talked to my assistant and she was kind of telling me too she's like hey you think we can um record the flow on the computer or like do i need to write down how to do all this billing she's like i'd hate to you know get in a car accident and you're out of luck because I'm the only person that does it. I'm like, you know what? That's a great idea. I appreciate that. Why don't you get on that? <laughs> yeah, everything in art is um, there's a standard operation procedure for everything. So it is, if, if the unfortunate happened and I lost my admin person, um, yeah, someone else would come in and they'd be good to go pick up. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, we all like to market. I've noticed you have a really good color scheme. You got a pretty good logo going on. Your website is. Yeah. You must have had a really good professional, I would think, setting up everything because everything looks really good. I'm like, wow, I'm jealous. I wish I would do something like that. <laughs> Plus other marketing. Give us some of your tips on that. So for me, the biggest and best marketing tool I've had so far has been going out and just speaking to other healthcare professionals and just building that up, saying that, hi, I'm Nick. This is what I can do. Let's have a chat. Let's... So that's how I built up my relationships with my foot and ankle orthopedic surgeons that refer a lot of work to me. And then that then filters down to word of mouth from patients. You're only as good as the last patient you treated. So if they have a good experience, they're more likely to go away and shout about it. And then the other thing for me is social media is um, Facebook's fantastic uh, for marketing. I think people have to view Facebook as a, a mass marathon, not a sprint. And uh, Gary Vaynerchuk um, speaks a lot about that. And his, like, if people wanted books to go read, go have a read of um, some of his books. They're there. I, I, I audio listen to everything, so they they do some. They're good to listen to. For example, I don't measure return on investment on Facebook because I I'm not at a stage where it's relevant yet. And I've been using Facebook for help build my business for every year, and I still think 
I'm not in a place where I need to start measuring because it's and I think if you some people they'll do a Facebook ad and then they'll say oh it didn't work so Facebook doesn't work well they just haven't been consistent enough in my opinion it's uh, It's almost brand recognition for you yeah you you got to build that brand first you can't just sort of that no like trust relationship you got to you can't just go and say oh here I am I can fix you (laughs) you mean that doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so yeah but they would be my tips on trying to go out and help bring more work into your into the company when you're going to talk to orthopedic surgeons and who knows what else do you have like a game plan that you can share like what are you talking about how are you approaching them do you have to bring food or tea oh no, no. yeah no I, I, I won't go unless they've got tea <laughs> uh, i need tea <laughs> it's um i just go and i just sit there and i'll chat and i will just offer my opinion when a patient comes in and I'll say, well, actually, this is how I would do this, or this is what I would do. And then a lot of the time they sit and say, okay, actually, no, that's a sensible idea. Let's try this before operating. And so I don't go in with a set game plan. I just go in there, be myself, offer my opinion. And nine times out of ten, it then tends to build a relationship from there. So I think just go in there and be yourself. Don't try and be someone you're not because you'll get caught out eventually. Especially if it's not flowing good with your conversation. You're like, oh, yeah. What was I supposed to say at that point? Yeah, and, and I disagree with them as well. If 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 they say something and I, well, oh, I don't quite believe that. I'll say to them, well, actually, uh, my views aren't the same on that because if you see if you if you talk about surgeons, they are tremendously skilled at operating, but they won't know all the latest evidence behind the conservative management. So they may be giving some advice to someone that's actually slightly dated, and they'll happily say, actually, do you know what? here's the latest evidence and I'll email you the paper if you want then you can have a read and then yeah so I've actually changed some of the orthopedic surgeons I work with on conservative management advice they give to some of their patients that's true because they might say this is a surgical candidate and you're like uh no and for the last four years you could have actually done this and you don't have to do that surgery and the flip side for me is I I try and keep it up to date as best I can with new surgical techniques and everything but I'm not a surgeon so I will give my patient some basic advice around surgery but i always say look if you want to speak to someone about surgery speak to a surgeon because that's what they do day in day out i don't operate so i'm not the best person to give and again that's about staying in your lane and just moving them on when it goes past my remix this has been fantastic i've got to respect your time so we're gonna we're gonna put it in the fourth gear we're gonna go to the personal side let's get at it you ready yeah okay now you have your own business now vacation all of a sudden isn't just given to you so what can you do to take time off and recharge so for me taking time off is so important and my wife gets a generous annual leave allowance so i basically when she's off i just book time off Hmm. when i first started my business i was petrified about taking time off but now i'm like i just do it and you know what the business is still there when i come back it hasn't disappeared Uh, and it is so important that you do that otherwise you'll just burn out so that's why I, I, I personally don't work weekends. Uh, I play too much sport. Hockey is my main sport. So I will never work on a Saturday because... Hockey? I say the pace. Yeah. Not field hockey, not ice hockey. Okay, field hockey. Uh, I was wondering, I was like, really? Ice hockey? <laughs> okay, field hockey. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. I barely know what that is. But yeah, okay, yeah. let's go with it. <laughs> it it's, it's getting bigger in the US. The US women team are, are, are getting better and better. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I do. I, I make sure that I have my and I just tell my patients they say 
can I see you on a Saturday? And I sort of say, no, I'm playing sport. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll say to them, no, look, but if you want to see me on a Saturday, we can work around the hockey. But for me to inconvenience myself around that, you're going to have to pay at least double my normal fees if you want to see me. Uh, and no one ever does. It shuts it down. It does. I'm not interested in seeing people on the weekend. I've got no issue if my staff want to work a weekend, but I will never force any of my staff to work a weekend because I, I don't, I will only ask my staff to do what I'm comfortable doing myself. If they want to work a Saturday and have a weekday off, fine. But if they don't want to work a Saturday, I will never turn around and say you must work Saturday because I will never work a Saturday. So yeah, I hear that. And how are you keeping a home work life balance? That as the business grows, that's difficult, really difficult. Uh, so I found I've had to reduce my clinical hours to make sure that oh, I was finding that I was working so many hours in clinic, then trying to do the business stuff, then trying to finish my MSc, then having a newborn. I was just like, whoa, this is too much. Something's got to give. So I had a chat with my business coach about, okay, where do we go with things? And so I reduced my clinical hours, got some staff in and just handed in my master's dissertation. So that's all. Now work life is much better so that I will work during the week quite hard but then make sure I don't do anything on the weekends at all I'm kind of lucky in a way that my wife's got a stress she's a general practitioner so she's a doctor and she works long hours as well so it's it's not uncommon for us to have a 12-hour day but we make sure by the time Friday evening comes we don't do anything until Monday morning and that for me that just is enough just to recharge and keep going but having your own business it gives the if I, if I need to drop list one off at nursery i've got the flexibility in my diary just to do that because i'm my own boss so if i don't want to work i just don't work it's as simple as that really yeah and you've been able to hire people to fill in those gaps yeah exactly i was about to say what do you do with your kids because if you're going 10 hours and she's working 12 hours you're like oh <laughs> uh well, a lot of my family live really close by uh, Perfect. so it's great my mum's nearby my father-in-law mother-in-law then she goes to the nursery so really good family support which that's awesome. We couldn't do it without, so we're really grateful for family around. That's perfect, and I know not everybody has that, so that's one more perk for living near family of some sort. It is, yeah, yeah, it's massive perk. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they love it. They, they love seeing her. And you've been married for a while, so what are you doing to keep that marriage part alive? Keep that love alive and all that. Uh, yeah, we. So we. I actually met my wife at school playing hockey. Um, so part of the reason most really we both got a love for sport and we both got a love for the same sport. Um, so as a family, we're down the hockey club in winter, most weekends. And yeah, for us, it's just we just we don't we don't put we don't it sounds silly. We don't put we don't try to force anything. We just let things happen. We chat every day. I always make sure we have at least one joke or one smile at least throughout the whole day. And yeah, it's uh and that just seems to well people ask me all the time well how have you gone from like since the age of 14 and now i'm 30 and my wife's 31 how's it worse I, said, I don't know it's sort of one of those things we never really planned it just yeah it just happened and materialized and um but i think playing the same sport and having the same interest for us really helps because we've missed family birthdays i've missed anniversaries she's missed anniversaries to go play hockey because hockey means that much our family know if you organise something on a Saturday in the winter, me and my wife will not be there unless we're not playing hockey. That's how important hockey is to us. And I think that's part of the reason as to what keeps us going as a, as a couple. And we both work in the medical industry, so we have some interesting discussions around what's happened at work today. And it's, um, 
No kidding. What kind of, a lot of injuries in hockey? Yeah. Um, it's, you see the normal musculoskeletal injuries that you get in most sort of field sports. You don't see as much ACL injuries and whatnot because it's non-contact. Uh, the big ones you tend to see are actually when you see one, it's dislocated shoulders, it's fractured cheekbones. Because if you've been hit with a hockey stick or hit with a hockey ball, like these are solid lumps of plastic that can easily travel over 100 miles an hour. And if it hits you, it's, it hurts. You don't wear no helmets? No, don't need helmets. Uh-huh. No. So it's a proper sport. <laughs> you don't need that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. When I get my jaw broken uh, randomly, I'm like, I wouldn't mind a little wrestling well, helmet. If, if you go back to the London 2012 games, um, one of there's a Kate Richardson Walsh, one of the female GB hockey players. I was there watching the game at the Olympics, and it was she she got hit by the ball and she she broke her jaw. And then three days later, she was back playing again. She went to surgery, had it pinned, she had to wear a mask, but she was back playing again. And I just think, like, if you're a football player or, as you call it, soccer, that's it. They'd be out for ages. They wouldn't get back up again. Oh, I'd be it's done. Yeah, it's sort of... I did a Australian football one summer. And, no, uh, that's a brutal school. That's brutal. Brutal. Denver. Brutal. I was playing, like, co-ed. It was just sort of, like, touch, you know, because there's girls and guys, and that's just not fair. And I was at practice and whatnot. And I Anyway, I go to practice one day, and they, went, they came back from a game, and they go, oh, yeah, well, Whatever, Tony, he fell, his elbow dislocated. I was like, dislocated? Like, how bad? Like, oh, it was bad. It was bad. I was like, oh, I, I can't be. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I can't do this. This, is, this sounds out of control. And then you see the, the YouTube clips, and you're like, hmm, that's an eight-foot drop. <laughs> yeah. Straight to the ground. I was like, no, nah, I'm done. <laughs> oh, hockey. Okay, cool. Now we know a little more about that. Wrapping it up. It's a fun question. There's no wrong answers. Favorite books? blogs, podcasts, some that you can secretly love and some that just, you know, definitely everybody should check out. I'm quite sad in that most of the books I read are medical journals and whatnot, so I, I won't go down in, into those. My favourite book of all time, I've forgotten, it's, it's, it's such my favourite book, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was by the Lisa Sanders, who was the medic who come up with all the cases for the Doctor House TV series. Oh, yeah. And I read her book about it, and that was a really good read. Most recently, one of the best books I've read is um, Shoe Dog, the story of how Nike developed. Really, really good read. And then business-wise, there was a book by Neville Wright, and he developed a company in the UK called Kitty Care, and he just talked about his journey. Now, the reason I, I like that book, because it's little things like he's severe, he's dyslexic, the way he speaks, the way his brain works, he uses software called Dragon that I use to do all my notes, and he uses it for writing that book. And it, I, I just had a lot of connections with him. And it, it makes you realize that you can listen to all these books from different business people, whether it's healthcare, working in the baby sector. But at the end of the day, it's still all business. There's lots you can take away from actually going outside of your own sector and learning from other sectors and bringing it back. So, yeah, that would be and that's my sort of reading list really never that it's just medical journals so it's uh, pretty sad really well you know you gotta stay up so, up to it somehow yeah it keeps me up to date otherwise i'll never keep up to date so hey what's popular in music around in the uk right now or what i say should popular versus what you actually like i don't know it could be the same so i'm still listening to the same stuff that i listened to when i was uh, 14 yeah, yeah. Um, so, so i still listen to a lot of offspring a lot of um foo fighters Red Hot Chili Peppers. I, I love that sort of rock. Concept. Yeah, you're a 90s kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I love that. Um, so I think there's this thing called 
garage type of music. I've got no idea what it is really that seems to be popular at the moment. I I couldn't tell you what it is. Jesus, it makes you sound old, doesn't it? Look, just showing my age. Wow, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Say thirty and say showing my age. It's sort of yeah, I'm um, thirty six, so I'm not too much uh, too much older than you. I, I listen to top forty sometimes, and I'm just like, wow, okay, so this is what's popular right now. It's like this is interesting. Yeah, it's a load of rubbish, some of it. I think so. It's. <laughs> Speaking of being old, I remember being like in junior high or high school and my buddy's mom was listening to the station that I was listening to and she was all into it and stuff. And I was like, what's this old lady doing? And then I look back and I'm like, she wasn't old. She was probably like 30. It was like, I'm yeah, still loving this music. I just happen glad you guys like it too. I was just like, oh man, perspective when you get older. No, I, I listen to a radio station called Radio 1 over here a lot and it's it's targeted for a younger audience than myself or i'm the upper age of where it is and sometimes i think people say i listen to radio one and i get that look from people like oh you're too old to listen to that station (laughs) (laughs) just don't play it in your clinic (laughs) yeah exactly so that's awesome well how can people get more information about you what's your website all that jazz so website is nksportspodiatry.co.uk and then i'm on facebook nksportspodiatry on facebook nk sports pod on twitter and then podiatry nk sports on instagram so it depends what flavor of social media you like but we're on them we're on them all and our youtube is um we've got an nk sports podiatry youtube channel which we're loading more and more stuff up to and that, that, that's great because i get comments all around the world on the youtube stuff it's amazing how i can you can reach people anywhere just with technology search correctly and you'll find it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And by the way, it's NK as in his name, Nick Knight, if you were, yes. if you couldn't understand him. Yeah, my, my British accent, sorry. Yeah. I'm just, you know, one day if I go home for like a while, I need to do a podcast episode because my thick Cajun accent will come out. And if I could do a foreign episode again, we'd both be like, I don't, what? Say, <laughs> Say it again, please. Uh, well, Nick, I really appreciate your time sharing all this information, and I really appreciate you being a part of the podiatry series. No, thank you for having me. It's been good fun. Another great interview has ended. As I always say, I hope you listened, critically think, and implement something so that your practice life, family life can improve this week. I want to hit you up with a few links today. If you'd like to know what the top episodes of 2018 and 2017 were, you can just go to .net slash top1718 and you can get a PDF of all those episodes. It's like 22 of them. If you're interested on any of the programs that I've actually been interviewed on, just go to .net slash asheardon. So play on as, as seen on, you know, so asheardon. If you didn't know, the Needless Acupuncture book sales page has been revamped, so it looks a lot better. You know, sometimes when you look at a web page and it doesn't look like it's put together well, you're like, meh, I'm not sure about this thing. But it's been redone. looks better. And also, if you have an Android device and you're curious about it, you can actually now download the same five protocols, blueprints, if you will, right there on your phone at the Needless Acupuncture app. And for less than $4, you can get the whole book on your phone from the Android Google Play store. So if you're interested, check that out. The electric acupuncture pen is still available at a great rate. You can get it on its own or as a package. So you can get the book, the e-pen, as well as the auricular points. Now, some of the things that I'm recommending, Blueberry Hosting, that's who I use. I really like them a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. Fiverr is where I get a lot of my music done, my logos. I don't know if you noticed on Facebook, I believe my picture is now a face with a bunch of words. I just saw that real quick. It was cheap. Yeah, why not? I'll try that for a little while. It's fun. A turtle pillow. It's a travel pillow. It actually has like an H-beam in it. So you can rest your neck 
and your chin on that so you don't get like the chicken bob where you you know you're sleeping and well you wake up really fast and you know those those u-shaped ones i just don't think they work very well so for me it's worked really well i've traveled I don't know, 10 different countries with it across the pond as they say i really highly recommend that if you're into instrument assisted soft tissue manipulation two options you got hawk grip so net slash hawk grips and also net slash edge and you can get tools there as well but they also have way more than just tools they've got how to get to use google apps as your emr uh, blood flow restriction cuffs there's a lot of research on that device and you can check that episode from the past and you can get an automatic 10 percent discount on all the products from the edge mobility equipment uh, one of the devices i use to to send out snippets of the podcast via picture and uh, quotes from the text that I write from the show notes is missing letter. They just took out the last e in letter.com. Pretty much, you know, you can do a blast in, in two months, you know, like five emails over two months. I like to do nine emails over 12 months. So that person who was interviewed last month doesn't just get lost, right? You know, so every day I have a new episode at a highlight and it's all automated. It's really cool. Definitely check it out. Uh, if you need to record your screen, I like screencast Omatic. Also, JLab Audio Speakers. I've said it before. I love them. Uh, it's a great company. And now I get to actually be an affiliate for them. So if you end up buying any of their products, just like any of these, I get a little piece. I uh, probably have like three or four different products. I mean, they're just the battery lives are longer. Sounds quality is amazing. Uh, and for the price, you can't love it a bunch. And of course, in the show notes, anytime you see a book link, you buy it, it comes to me. And .net slash t-shirts will help us out. And lastly, again, something I don't talk about too much, but if you need coaching, whether it's via the Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health, you need some help with taking those small steps and accountability so that you can actually lose the weight or start exercising more or get your budget in order, just let me know. I can help with that. Also, if you just need some minor marketing coaching or things like that, I can help you out with that as well. Just go to .net slash support. And of course, on there, you can also buy the host a cup of coffee or uh, even more than that. There's different options available. So. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week or on the mini-sode. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trostclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.